Do a mic check, make sure I'm on. Oh, great. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you, Justin, for affording me the opportunity to be here. Uh, this, is, this is a homecoming for me. I am so grateful. I know so many of your faces, and there, I don't know many of you. I'm, I'm excited to, to share the word with you this morning. Uh, this is a great privilege, um, more than I could express. So I'll just stop there and just say thank you so much. Um, it is a blessing to be able to bring God's word, and Justin, you have been an incredible friend to me. Uh, you all know that you have a fantastic pastor, right? He's a good guy, and I'm grateful for him. Yeah, thank you. Um, Justin is, uh, as far as ministry goes, he's my best friend in ministry, and I'm very, very grateful for the encouragement that he is to me on a continual basis. So, uh, good guy, keep on. Um, I'm going to start preaching now, though, all right? So um, when, when I was younger, I thought that life would just get a lot easier when I got older, right? Um, and th- just this week, my, my son, six years old, he's sitting at the kitchen table, and he said, um, you know what, Dad? Life is getting really easy. And I said, it is. And he just started kindergarten and everything. He's like, yeah, you know, when you learn to pay attention to your parents... Life just gets a lot better. I'm like, <laughs> amen, amen. Life's not always easy, and uh, so I'm thrilled to be able to start off in, in this series, Rhythms of Renewal, right? Uh, our souls need renewed, and so as we look to God's word, we will pray that he renews our hearts this morning. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your word, your gospel, and your truth. Lord, it is a privilege to be able to stand up here, to be able to preach your word. And Lord, we know that your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to our heart. It cuts to our soul. And we are so grateful for that. And we pray right now that you would stir our affections for Christ, that, Lord, you would do a great work among us because of your great name, because of your word, because of your Holy Spirit working. We pray according to Ephesians 5.18 that you would fill us with the Spirit, Lord, that we would uh, want to love you more and live for you. Lord, please be with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. May they be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Rhythms of renewal. Why is this series important? Well, it's important because uh, I didn't listen to Eric Matthews in Boy Meets World when he hit his brother Corey and said, life's hard, get a helmet. Um, I am really, really sometimes struggling in life and sometimes I'm floating and sometimes I'm doing well. Has anyone ever had your soul or your heart just be heavy? And maybe that's a silly question to ask because the last two years have been incredibly difficult for everybody in every walk of life. And so I'm so thankful that Justin has said, hey, we're gonna gonna look at the Bible, we're gonna look at rhythms of renewal, how we can be redeemed and renewed through the word of God to love Jesus, to love others, to love the the fellowship, to love the word, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And so I stand before you today as a 32 year old who thought life would be better uh, when I got older, but yet life brings more responsibilities and more weights. And I'm not just talking about 
taking your kids to the bathroom and trying to potty train them. That's like our season of life. We're just getting out of that, and so that makes life a little bit better. But life can get difficult and can get heavy. And sometimes, I know it sounds a little corny, but sometimes my soul and my heart needs a spa day where I can go and relax and be renewed. I think that's what the sons of Korah were writing about in Psalm 42 when they said, as the deer pants for living water, so my soul thirsts after you. Or when they said, asked the question later on, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? We've all been there before. We've all been there before. And we need renewed. And Lord willing, we will be renewed by the word of God. And in today's text, I'm gonna read that. If, if you could stand out of respect for God's word, if you are using a pew Bible, it's on page 888. And literally, I had to bring this up here so I wouldn't forget 888. I, you can tell how good I was at math, right? Um, but it's on 888. We're in John chapter 4. And as we read John chapter 4, we're going to go after this big idea that true renewal can only take place in Christ. That true renewal can only take place in Christ. I'm going to read 45 verses, and so if you do get tired uh, as I'm reading, you can sit down. That's okay, all right? John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This is also the funniest statement in scripture, verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, 
The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the work, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months then come to the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. That is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. True renewal can only take place in Christ. And if that is true, and it is, how does that take place? How does true renewal take place in John chapter four? Well, today I'd like to show you five C's, the five stages of Renewal, renewal in Christ. The very first stage we see is C, control. Uh, this might get overlooked, but all of you are here specifically because of a reason. God has orchestrated in your life different reasons for you to be here. Maybe if you're my family, you, you drove with me, you came down here uh, to, to see me. Uh, maybe you've gone to church here for 60, 70 years and this is just what you do every Sunday. Maybe you're, you're out there this morning and you happen to just come in and you're here and you don't necessarily even know why you're here. There's a myriad of reasons why you are here in this place at this moment at this time. So too in John chapter four. Um, we read in verse one, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although John himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, 
he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, this, this tells us something about what's going on. It also does remind me of the REO Speedwagon song, heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend, right? Like, when Jesus heard that the Pharisees had heard that, you know, like, they're going back and forth. It's important, though, what's going on. So Jesus is down in the desert, just north of the Dead Sea, and his disciples are baptizing people more than John the Baptist, actually. Now, John the Baptist was the biggest celebrity of that day and age. In fact, uh, the book of John opens up with the Pharisees coming out from Jerusalem and asking John the Baptist, "Um, who are you? There's a lot of people out here. Are you the Messiah? And John adamantly says, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to come before the Messiah. But now, there's a bigger show in town. Jesus and his disciples are baptizing even more. People are actually leaving John and going to, to hear Jesus. That happens in John chapter three. And that's where John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And Jesus is increasing. But Jesus doesn't want to have conversations with the Pharisees yet. He doesn't want to march into Jerusalem yet. There's a theme throughout the book of John. It's uh, Jesus' hour had not come. It's referred to in John chapter two and John chapter seven twice, John chapter eight. His hour is when he marches into Jerusalem to take on the cross. And Jesus wasn't ready for that yet. And so God orchestrates this March, uh, Jesus is down at the Dead Sea level. It's one of the lowest spots on earth. And he marches uphill. He goes uphill and he's, he's marching with his disciples. And I think there's a couple reasons that we can figure out the, that the disciples were teenagers. Because one, they're not tired and Jesus is tired. We know Jesus is about 30 years old. I'm about his age right there. And if I were just hiking uphill, I'd be out of breath. His disciples are not. They're also really hungry, right? So um, they go into the town. Even though they cannot stand the Samaritans, they go in because they need food, right? So you can hear Peter going, man, I'm really hungry. Wish we could go into that town. And Simon the Zealot's like, I've got swords. Let's go, right? And like they, they go into the town. So all of this matters because it's building up to an event. It's building up to a conversation between Jesus and this Samaritan woman, whose name we never, never get. Now, we're going to learn more about this woman here in a second, but I, I want to point out one other thing about the control, where this is taking place. This is on Mount Gerizim. This is by the town of Sychar. This is an important place in the Bible, dating all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord comes to Abram and says, Abram, I'm, I'm going to make you a father of many people. And Abram believes God, and he heads out to the land of Canaan. And when he gets to the land of Canaan, he sets up his tent underneath the oak at Meribah, which is at Mount Gerizim, which we call Shechem in the Old Testament. Shechem was a place where uh, people believed that God talked with Abraham. So this is a special place. Sychar is either Shechem or a town that would have been just outside of that city. So it's the same area. Later on, though, in the Old Testament, there's a guy that was Gideon's son, Abimelech. His name meant, my daddy is king, even though Gideon said he wouldn't be the king, right? He, I won't be the king. Yep, bring it on. And Abimelech is actually the very first king of Israel, even though it's just a little section. 
And if you read back in, in Judges chapter nine, Abimelech is a terrible person. He lies to the people of Shechem about him being the king, about him being great. He leads the people astray and tons of people ended up dying. This is the area, this is the place that Jesus meets this woman at this time. God is in control of all circumstances. Well, what, do we, what does that mean for us? Well, it certainly means that you need to know that God controls the circumstances of our lives. That's pretty easy to assent to when things are going well, right? That God controls our life. When everything's going well for you, when your college football teams are winning and you are just fantastically happy and the Colts haven't won in a while, but when the Colts are winning, right, we get excited when our children are healthy, when we're healthy, when, when we get a promotion at work, we get excited and we go, yes, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But what about when life isn't going well? What about when life isn't going well? Is God still in control? Is God still over all things? You see, friends, even the heartaches and the trials in this life, God uses. He uses, to, uses them to refine us and, and push those who are in Christ closer to him. So, whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, know that the Lord is guiding your path. You might be weary and overwhelmed and overlooked, overworked, but God's in control. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows exactly where you're at. And you know what? He uses all things for his glory and the benefit of his people. God is in control over all of life. The British pastor, uh, J.C. Ryle, I'm a big, big fanboy of his, uh, he said this about God using hardships in our lives to push us towards him. The servants of Christ in every age should treasure up the doctrine before us and remember it in time of need. It is full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort to godly persons. Let such never forget that they live in a world where God overrules all times and events and where nothing can happen but by God's permission. The very hairs of their heads are all numbered. Sorrow and sickness and poverty and persecution can never touch them unless God sees fit. They may boldly say to every cross, thou couldst have no power against me except it were given thee from above. Then let them work on confidently. They are immortal until their work is done. Let them suffer patiently. If needs be that they suffer, their times are in God's hand. That hand guides and governs here below and makes no mistakes. What are the hardships that you're going through this morning? What are the hardships that God has put in your life to push you towards a love of God so your heart may be renewed? Maybe you might be battling cancer or disease and it just wipes you out physically and emotionally and spiritually. But your trial is there because God wants you to come to him. Maybe your job is incredibly challenging and you just wanna get in your car and drive far, far, far away across all the cornfields of America to California and then you just wanna get in a boat and keep going. But you know God is using that situation in your life 
to refine you. Maybe you've been crippled by anxiety or depression. You wouldn't be the first person God has allowed to go through such suffering so that they can draw closer to God. In fact, the British pastor Charles Spurgeon said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. That's a quote to hold on to. God, friends, is in control of all things, all circumstances, every situation and interaction. He uses the minutia of life to get us to the point to receive his compassion. And that's what we see as the next C in the stages of renewal. We see the compassion of Christ. Jesus is sitting down. He's tired. He talks to the woman. He says, can you get me a drink? And this is astounding. The woman is flabbergasted. Why would Jesus ever say anything to this woman? Well, we need a little bit of background information. So a long time before Jesus was born, uh, about the time of Daniel and Jeremiah, the northern tribes, northern ten tribes, they were taken captive. Some people were left there. And, and, and there were different nations that came in. They intermarried with these Jewish people. And then after the long Babylonian exile, the Jewish people who had these clean bloodlines came back and they started to rebuild the temple and they started to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And then these half-breeds started showing up and said, let us, let us take part in your work. And they said, you're not, you're not Jewish. You, you can't do this. Those are the Samaritans. And since that point, the Samaritans and the Jewish people hated each other. Now, this woman is not just any Samaritan. This woman is what I call the outcast of the outcast of the outcast. You see, in Jesus' day and age, even if a Jewish man was walking in the marketplace and he saw his own wife, he wouldn't address her in public. You just wouldn't do that let alone some other woman. Women were second-class citizens in that day. So she's an outcast. But she's still an outcast because she's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a Jewish man, and she's an outcast. But she's still further yet an outcast. It says it's the sixth hour that's high noon. Back in that day, you did not get water if you were a woman at high noon. You got it in the morning when it was cool and you got it at night when it was cool, but you did not go in the middle of the day for numerous reasons. One of which would be what the women were wearing. They would be covered from head to toe and it's hot over in Israel. Not only that, they had to walk all the way up a mountain, half a mile from Sychar to get water. But the woman's doing this because she is filled with shame. We know why. We read the text. She has had five husbands and is living with a sixth man. Sychar isn't that big. And she's had a lot of husbands. That town ridicules her. She's going at high noon when it would be tradition for the people when it's 
high heat to go and take naps, kind of like a siesta, have their midday meal. They wouldn't be in the streets. She wouldn't see them. She could go up to the well and, and not be mocked or ridiculed. This woman is an outcast of the outcast of the outcast. And Jesus says, can you get me a drink? He breaks the ice. And this woman is incredulous. <laughs> How is it that you, a Jewish man, would talk to me, a Samaritan woman? And John fills in the blank for us. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus is showing her compassion. Jesus is showing her love. And Jesus says to her, if you only knew who was asking you for a cup of water, you would then ask this guy, and he will give you living water. Now, what is Jesus referring to there? He's referring to something far greater than physical water. Now, my mouth is dry right now, okay? Uh, I'm getting cotton mouth, and I'll drink this. And that's refreshing. That's good. But guess what's going to happen in like two minutes? I'm going to get cotton mouth, and I'm going to need to take another drink, perhaps. Jesus is offering living water, eternal water, water that, that satisfies forever. It doesn't diminish. What is he saying? Well, if you just flip over in your Bible, just a few pages to John chapter 7, verse 37, you'll see what he's talking about. John 7, 37, Jesus mentions at a feast when they actually would draw water up. He mentions this. The last day of the feast, it's the greatest day. He stands up and he cries out in verse 37, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is drawing the woman to himself. He breaks the ice by showing compassion to her, by engaging her in conversation, someone that he normally wouldn't have conversations with. And he offers himself, and she doesn't get it yet, but Jesus is offering the only thing that can satisfy, the only thing that can bear weight in our hearts and our souls and renew us time and time again, the only thing that will give us eternal life, a complete life. He's offering himself. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get it because she says, sir, give me this water in verse 15 so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She also mocks Jesus earlier, saying, are, are you greater than our father Jacob? Do you know something that he didn't know? You just got here, newbie. This is the only place to get water. Jesus engages her. Jesus offers compassion towards her. Jesus lived out 1 John 4, 19. We love God because he first loved us. And Jesus is loving this woman. And it doesn't look like that to us, right? Initially. How many times have we gone to McDonald's or Wendy's or Chick-fil-A and we say, give me a drink? Not necessarily loving there, right? But Jesus is loving this woman and engaging this woman, just as God engages us. You see, we grow tired and we grow weary. And we have all these circumstances in 
our life, pressuring us. And God uses those circumstances to to pressure us and to mold us. Why? Because he wants to renew you. He's offering himself to you, even this moment. He says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, all you who are weary. Come to me, and I'm going to give you something that your soul desperately needs. I'm going to give you myself. Now, some of you are thinking, that's fine, Chase. I've already trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have him in my heart. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to live forever with Jesus. So great. I hope people who aren't Christians are listening. Don't fall into that lie. Most of you are seasoned enough to know that Christians can struggle. Christians can have burdens that need, they need lifted, they need rolled away. But we can't do it in and of our own strength. We need Christ. There's a hymn that I was introduced to when I was actually out with Justin and uh, uh, your staff out at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. We sang this hymn, I Must Tell Jesus. And because I'm a terrible singer, I'm not gonna sing it, but I'm gonna quote the first, first line or two to you. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I must tell Jesus all my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. I love that song and I've been singing it in my head and I'm gonna stop quoting it because otherwise I'm gonna sing and it's gonna ruin the sermon. So we'll move on. But for some of you, you might be saying, okay, Chase, I'm in Christ, I'm good. I'm saved, and you know what? My heart's not struggling. It's struggled before, but right now, in this season of life, I'm doing well. I'm doing well like your son. You know, he, he learned to listen to his parents, and he's doing well. I, I'm in a sweet spot of life, and I'm so thankful for you. But even in your sweet spot of life, or your struggling part of life, or maybe you do not have eternal life in Christ, wherever you're at this morning, I, I want you also to realize that it is a common human experience to have a heavy heart. And do you recognize the people around you who need that compassion of Christ? This woman is an outcast of the outcast of the outcast. She's the person that we would gladly avoid. I was watching a comedy sketch one time and um, these people were in Boston and they were trying to walk into a Dunkin' Donuts and uh, there's all these homeless people out there. And the homeless people are asking them in a Boston accent for money. And, and essentially, the whole gist of the sketch was, don't go to a Dunkin' Donuts in Boston, right? Because those people are going to bother you. But friends, those are the exact people that we're here for. That's the exact people that Jesus came to engage, that Jesus came to share compassion with, to, that he came to love. Rebecca Manley Pippert wrote out of the salt shaker many years ago. And this is a quotation from her. She says, often we are blind. She's talking about Christians. Often we are blind. We act as if those around us were not really people like us. If we see them bleed, we pretend they aren't really hurting. If we see them alone, we tell ourselves that they like it that way. But Jesus wants to heal our sight. He wants us to see that the neighbor next door, the people sitting next to us on a plane or in a classroom are not interruptions to our schedule. 
They are there by divine appointment. Jesus wants us to see their needs, their loneliness, their longings, and he wants to give us the courage to reach out to them. If we are to do that, we need to do two things. We will have to take risk as well as get beneath the surface of people's lives. That's exactly what Jesus does here. And to be honest, I'm not lining up for a conversation with a woman who's had five husbands and is living with a sixth man. That's drama with a capital D, right? And many of us know, like, that one person in your life or those few people in your life, or maybe you're that person, people want to stay away. Too much drama. Jesus gets down with the woman. And he enters into her life beneath the surface and offers compassion. That's what we're called to do as Christians. No one's ever gonna be renewed if they don't hear about Christ. But in the compassion of God, we come to the third C out of the stages of renewal. And God not only controls everything and not only does he wanna show us our compassion, but God's compassion is not void of confrontation. And that's, that's the third C, confrontation. You see, Jesus loves the woman and he loves her enough to call her to repentance. That's hard. Right? The woman says, sir, give me this water so I can drink always. And so often when we share the gospel, if we share the gospel as Christians, we say, hey, Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for you. And that is absolutely right. But Jesus' own words, his own speeches say, repent and believe in the gospel. And here Jesus, in loving the woman, says, go get your husband. Now, we're not divine. We, we don't know all things, right? Like, that would be really weird if you just came up to me and told me all the sins of my life, right? Like, that is a little creepy. But Jesus is God, and so he can do that. He knows the woman better than she knows herself. But some of you are involved with people's lives enough that you know where they fail. You know where they don't add up. And maybe God is calling you to be that conduit to call people in grace and truth to repent. That's what Jesus does. And I, again, I, I do think this is the funniest line in all scripture because Jesus says, yep, what you say is true. You have five husbands and you're living with a sixth man. And she goes, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> and it's just like, I can just think about Jesus just kind of smirking, half smiling, right? He's, he's very engaged in the conversation. And the woman moves a little bit closer. She's not there yet. It took confrontation to tell that woman that she needed something. Many people are afraid to call sin, sin. And in an effort of, of being loving, which background of this church and the church that I pastor and, and many churches like ours, fundamentalist churches back in the day. We believed the Bible and the pendulum swung to the other side and we weren't always that loving, unfortunately. We were very full of truth, not grace. But in an effort to swing the pendulum back and say, no, 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 we love people, we've stopped calling sin, sin. But God doesn't do that. His word never changes. God speaks truth in his word and it is unyielding. And he, here, Jesus, is calling this woman out for her sin. 
And when we don't call people out on their sin, and we say, well, I just, I just want to love the people, just show them Jesus, just his, just his love, what we're doing is making people comfortable on their way to hell. God loves us too much, far too much, to leave us away from him. And so when God shows his compassion, he will always confront you on your sin, always. He confronts this woman. What's this woman's sin? She keeps going to a well, not the well that they're at, not Jacob's well. She keeps going to the empty well of relationships with men, and she keeps coming back empty and less satisfied again and again and again. She's filled with shame. She's filled with hurt. She is weary and heavy laden. But Jesus, but God, who's rich in mercy, shows his compassion to this woman and confronts her on, his, on her sin. Where do you stand at before God right now? Maybe you're just like the woman. Maybe you're looking for satisfaction in relationships and, and not just the mushy-gushy relationships, okay? But you're looking after friendships. That's where you feel satisfaction in friendships. Or maybe you're looking for familiar, uh, familial relationships or mentorships. And that you think by pursuing people, you're going to be fulfilled, you're going to be satisfied. But that's an empty well. Even on my best days, I'm having a good day today. Even on my best days, when all the relationships in my life are just clicking, they can never satisfy me like Jesus. My wife and I have a wonderful relationship, and even in that wonderful relationship, my wife cannot satisfy me like Christ. Your family, I, I'm sure many of you got together for Thanksgiving, right? And maybe you just had the best time. You had a wonderful time. You laughed and you ate and you watched the lions lose and you did all those things. But, but here's the deal. Your family can't fulfill you. They can't fulfill you. And it doesn't matter if you're chasing after relationships or you're chasing after an identity. Like I did so much of my life, part of my testimony is I love being known as an athlete. And God, God blessed me when I was in high school, worked really hard, got a college scholarship. I was so happy. I went to college and through a variety of reasons, for a variety of reasons, God showed me the idol of my heart and that was being known as an athlete. Now I'm just a washed up athlete. There's no identity in that. Athletics can't satisfy, music can't satisfy, work can't satisfy, family can't satisfy, food can't satisfy. I don't care what you're looking at right now, what you're looking to be fulfilled in. Maybe you grab your phone all the time and you're flipping through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That will leave you empty. That will leave you unsatisfied. But herein, Jesus calls us out and he says, you have no satisfaction in that, but here I am. And we will make excuses. We will make excuses like the woman makes excuses. Right? Jesus confronts us in order to give us the best sea there is. Christ himself. The stages of renewal. God controls everything. 
He gets you in the circumstances of life where you're at so he can show his compassion, so he can call you out through confrontation and your sin, so he can give you himself. Christ wants to give you himself. And so uh, we see that in verses 19 through 26. The woman wants to make excuses. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet, so let's change the conversation because I don't want to talk about my sin anymore. You Jews say that we are wrong about our theology, but I think we're right. Do you see what Jesus does? He sets her straight. No, you're wrong. Then he just gives her himself. This is the clearest explanation of Jesus' identity in the whole Gospel of John, and there's a lot of clear ones. Verse 29. The one... Oh, no, sorry. That was in chapter three. Don't read that. Verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. The woman still isn't getting who Jesus is. And so what does he say? He looks in her eyes, and he says, I who speak to you, I'm he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you're waiting to tell you about life. I'm here. Is Christ everything to you? Are you running for satisfaction in every other area of your life? And, and if you are running for satisfaction, if you're, if you're looking to be renewed in anything else other than Jesus, let me just call time out in your life and give you some coaching advice, you will not find satisfaction apart from Christ. You'll find temporary satisfaction. Certainly some of those things can bring temporary satisfaction even for years. But you will not have eternal satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, if Christ be anything, right, if if he's anything to me, he must be everything. Oh, rest not till love and faith in Jesus be the master passions of your soul. There's an epidemic of mental health disorders in the United States. Why? Some people have really actually degrees of chemical imbalance. Okay, yeah, that happens. I believe as a pastor, I think some people can become demon-possessed. But can I tell you, through the seven-ish years of counseling people who have anxiety, like really bad anxiety or depression or melancholy, and even in my own life, when my heart just drops and my soul sinks, do you know where that comes from? That comes from me trying to find satisfaction in anything other than Christ. That's me looking around at my life circumstances and saying, this stinks, I want something else. And so I can, I can go back and I, I can turn on Netflix, watch Netflix until my heart's content, or I can get on Twitter and just read lots of news articles, or I, I, can, I can become a recluse. Why? Because I'm looking for satisfaction in anything other than Jesus. What about you? Friends, that, this is a battle of epic proportions because we do this again and again and again. We go to those empty wells. 
You see, I was talking about sharing Christ with others, but the, the fact of the matter is, we're not really Jesus in this story. We're a lot closer to the woman at the well, empty, and in need of something so fulfilling. And Jesus says in John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and up from his soul will spring eternal life, wells, springs of eternal life. If you're, is your life empty? Jesus, right this instant, is offering you himself. You cannot be renewed, no matter how hard you try, apart from Christ. You can chase different pursuits over and over and over again, get a new job every couple years. You can, you can have a family, you can have kids, you can raise kids. You, you, you can do all the pursuits that are really good things, even, even godly things, but there is nothing that satisfies apart from Jesus. Are you satisfied in him today? Is Christ everything to you today? Because friends, if he is not, you will not be renewed. But he offers himself through his word, just like he offered to that woman at the well years ago. Come to me. Come to me. And when we come to him, we see the final stage of renewal, change. Now, because of time, I'm going to have to pull um, a, a rest of the story, a um, couple minute summary. In verses 27 through 45, we see that this woman is changed. She comes up that mountain filled with shame. She goes down that mountain, forgets her water jar, by the way, she goes down that mountain and runs into the town and says, I've met a man, and everyone in the town's eyes roll back, right? <laughs> Been here, done that, again and again and again. This one's different. He told me all I ever did. He didn't lie to me. He didn't try to say, baby, you're the best thing ever, right? No. He called me out of my sin. Can this be the Christ? And there was such change in her. This town, they, they pick up their jaws off the ground. They go, where is this man? And as you see the text, the text said, many believed because of her testimony. And they go up the mountain. As they go up the mountain, a hilarious conversation is going on. It, it's the, the Snicker commercial before Snickers ever was invented, right? Jesus has food that they don't know about. Then they go, where's this food coming from? Did you give him something to eat? I didn't, I, did he, is he keeping food from us, you know? And Jesus looks out across the fields as he's sitting up against that well, satisfied in his heart and soul for the life change that that woman has just experienced in him. And he says, look, the fields are white for harvest. Samaritans wore white robes. It's probably what he's talking about. They're coming across the field. And if you look out at our fields right now, I drove through most of Indiana today to get here. Our fields aren't ripe for the harvest. But the fields of your life, if you're in Christ, are very much ripe for the harvest. You see, when you come to Jesus, you can be renewed in him. You can, for the first time in your life, have satisfaction of your soul, unlike anything ever, ever and when you're in Jesus, sometimes, friends, we lose sight of him. 
We think good things can satisfy us. We, we build up idols in our life, and I don't have time to get into all of that today, but we build up different things in our life thinking that, yes, this will satisfy me, but it leaves us empty. My encouragement to you today is to remember this big idea that true renewal can only take place in Christ. And if that's true, true renewal can only take place in Christ, where's your soul at right now? Believer, non-believer, how's your heart? Where's your soul? There's a remedy. There's a place of renewal. It's in Christ. And I would offer to you today, come to him. Right where you're seated. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna pray for me because I need this message just like you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this day and I thank you for your word and your gospel and your truth. And Lord, as we heard from your word and we see the story of the woman at the well, we are incredibly grateful that you condescended to us. You took on flesh for us. You came to us with your love. You died on the cross. You rose again, conquering sin and death and the devil. You left us with your word and your Holy Spirit and your church to bear witness of the great power of Jesus Christ, the power that he has to satisfy the soul, the longings of our hearts. Lord Jesus, we desperately need you. We need you more than the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, or the drink that we partake of. Lord, we need Jesus. And Lord, there are several hundred people here this morning and they are in desperate need of Jesus. And Lord, there are some people who have, who have never met you. Maybe today was the first time that they ever heard that Jesus confessed to be the Christ. Maybe today is the first day that they, they ever heard that Jesus died on the cross for them or that God loves them or that Jesus wants to confront their sin and call them to himself. And I pray today would be the day that they repent and believe in the gospel. And Lord Jesus, for, for those of us who are part of your family and who, who lose sight of you, who try to find our satisfaction in this world apart from you, Lord, I pray, even as my own heart loses sight of you, that you would forgive me, that you would allow me to come to you, to be filled up by you, to have wellsprings of life in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and your gospel and your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.